0: Well, good morning. Let us turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 19. For those of you who are just visiting this morning, we have been in the book of Acts for quite some time, to be precise. And uh, this is our second study in chapter 19. We're considering verses 11 through 20. 11 through 20. Now, let me remind you of the anchor that we have for us as we study the this chapter, which is the ministry of the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. And the anchor is verse 20 of Acts 19. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And we saw last week how the word of the Lord prevailed over, first of all, doctrinal immaturity, in that the Apostle Paul, by the word of the Lord, established believers in Ephesus in sound gospel doctrine. And next we saw how the word of the Lord increased and prevailed mightily over stubborn unbelief in verses 8 through 10 by bringing both salvation and judgment to the people in Ephesus. This morning we will see yet a third way in which the word of the Lord increased and prevailed mightily in Ephesus. So let's read beginning in verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirit came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil evil spirits, saying, I adjured you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva... We're doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? The man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. May the Lord bless the reading of his Holy and inspired word. Here's the point that we are considering this morning. The word of the Lord prevail over occult forces. Occult forces. Let us dive right in. I have three main divisions for you this morning. And here's the first one. Here's the first thing that we see in Ephesus. The central event. What is happening in Ephesus? The central event Here's what is happening a failed exorcism. A failed exorcism. Clearly, God was doing very unique miracles in Ephesus, extraordinary, in fact, through Paul in this city. Even pieces of cloth that had made contact with Paul were being used to heal people of their diseases and to cast out demons, even for miracles. These things were very, very unusual. That's why the Bible uses the word extraordinary. Now, seeing this demonstration of power in Ephesus, some itinerant Jewish exorcist became eager to get in the fun. Now, you remember in Acts chapter 8, Simon, he was a what? Magician, right? Sorcerer, Simon the Magician, sought to acquire spiritual power through money. Money. In Acts 19, the sons of Siva sought to acquire spiritual power through, not money, superstition. Superstition. Which is clear from from verse 13. Let's read it again. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke The name of the Lord Jesus, just like Paul was doing, over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now this needs a little bit of an explanation. What is happening? First, let me address Ephesus' dark reputation. Ephesus' dark reputation. The citizens of Ephesus were known for their fear of dark. Spiritual forces. And not only their fear of these things, but even more so, they were known for their futile attempts to fight against those evil forces through occult practices and superstitious rituals. For example, in verse 19, we read that there were many, after Paul had preached the gospel, there were many who practiced what? Magic arts. Now, what do we make of magic? What do we make of magic? Obviously, we're not talking about magic tricks that you do with carts over the table. Those things are mostly meant to be optical illusions. Rather, we're talking about magic in the sense of occult practices, dark endeavors. Or like the magicians of Pharaoh in Egypt who fought Moses with secret arts. Secret arts. The Anchor Bible Dictionary is helpful here. It defines magic as, quote, a form of communication. Now, pay attention to that, magic. A form of communication involving the supernatural world in which an attempt is made to affect the course of the present and or future events by means of ritual actions, especially ones which involve the symbolic imitation of what the practitioner wants to happen and or by means of formulaic recitations which describe the desired outcome, and or invoke gods, demons, or the spirits believed to be resident in natural substances, end quote. This is animism. The idea that spirits, evil spirits, they dwell in uh, things material. Now, let me ask you this. How important was this type of magic For the citizens of Ephesus, it was critically important. One commentator says that magic belonged to, quote, a worldview that recognized the widespread presence and influence of good and evil spirit powers on every area of life magic represented a means of harnessing or controlling spiritual power and managing life issues through rituals, incantations, and invocations, And quote. The practice of exorcisms, which is the casting out of demons, belonged to the category of magic and were used to accomplish three distinct purposes, either to frighten, the evil spirit, to bribe the evil spirit, or to transfer the evil spirit from one person to another. So these beliefs in the occult were prevalent in the city of Ephesus. Therefore, magicians and sorcerers abounded in that city. In fact, in fact, several Bible scholars believe that when in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, Paul speaks of fighting while, you remember that? He fought wild beasts in Ephesus. He's likely not speaking of actual animals, but of evil forces and demons who through sorcery and magic sought to oppose the apostle Paul and his ministry in Ephesus. This makes sense, especially in light of everything that Paul says to the Ephesians about the spiritual forces of darkness in his letter to them in Ephesians. On top of all of that, this Ephesian dark reputation and what really begins to make sense of the events described in verse 13 is yet another element. Folk Judaism. Folk Judaism. By the time the first century rolled through, The Jewish religion, Judaism, was not only apostate in the sense that they had abandoned the true God, but they had also absorbed many of the commonly held beliefs in the occult, which is where the word folk comes in. Folk refers to the idea that the way to fight against evil spirits and evil forces in the unseen realm was through common or folk remedies. There is, for example, there is very strong archaeological evidence found in the city of Ephesus that there was a Jewish tradition associated with King Solomon in which it was believed that God had granted Solomon, the King Solomon, knowledge of the arts, secret arts used against demons for the benefit and healing of men. This was a common Jewish tradition in Ephesus. So over time, Solomon came to be associated with the occult, with magic in the Jewish tradition. In fact, a Jewish document called the Testament of Solomon, dating all the way back to the New Testament era, contained a collection of magical formulas, incantations, and insights into the demonic realm that would have been put to use to ward off evil spirits. This was Jewish tradition in Ephesus. This is very likely what a Jewish shaman or, healer like figure in the first century would have used as he went around exercising evil spirits. It should not come as a surprise then that Paul encountered the sons of Siva, a Jewish high priest engaged in these practices in Ephesus. Many Jews had walked away from the true God of Scripture and had embraced the occult. Therefore, when these exorcists saw Paul effectively casting out demons in the name of Jesus, they thought of it in terms of superstition. Superstition. As if Jesus' name was a type of magic formula. And this is very disturbing. Very disturbing. It serves to reveal the true depths of Jewish apostasy. God strictly prohibited these practices in the Old Testament. So now let us consider what true Judaism taught. True Judaism taught. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I want us to begin reading in verse 9. And I want us to consider the severity of God's words. Deuteronomy chapter 18 beginning in verse 9. I want you to think about the Jewish background. As Israel was preparing to enter the promised land, the Lord God spoke these words to them. Verse 9, Deuteronomy 18. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the what? Abominable. Abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. It's interesting that God had to tell them this. Burning your kids is bad. Don't do it. But then listen to what he says next. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer, or a a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is a what? An abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Let me briefly point out the following before we keep reading. The Lord held those pagan nations in the land of Canaan accountable to what? To something they didn't have. What is that? His law. He held those pagan nations accountable to his law even though they didn't have those laws. We could talk about that for weeks, but we won't. They were, those nations were under the sentence of death for not living in accordance with God's law. All nations, brothers and sisters, are ultimately accountable to the true God. Then the Lord continues in verse 13 and says this, You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, Israel, my people, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. What did the Lord give Israel instead? Instead of fortune tellers. Instead of sorcerers. What did he give him?" Well, let's read in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall what? Oh, so this magic and occult stuff is about listening. Verse 18. I will put my words in his mouth. These verses reveal the central problem with the occult including magic, witchcraft, divination, fortune-telling, superstition, etc. To go with the occult is to despise what? God's word. When King Saul consulted with the witch of Endor about the future, his sin was this. Listen. So Saul died... For his breach of faith, he broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking what? Guidance. Guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. First Chronicles 10, 13 and 14. Saul chose a witch's guidance. Over what? God's firm and definitive word. Hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to that. Likewise, going back to Acts 19, the sons of a Jewish high priest in Ephesus named Siva had entangled themselves in occult practices, choosing superstition, magic, incantations, and rituals to deal with the realm of the unseen and the supernatural. They were Jewish living and acting like pagans. They had given themselves over to darkness. As a result... They received upon themselves humiliating consequences. We read about them in verses 15 and 16 of Acts 19. Having tried their luck with the demon, using the name of Jesus superstitiously, they get this in return. Verse 15. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Notice what the evil spirit said. I know Jesus and I'm familiar with Paul. You, Jewish exorcist, I have never heard of. It is almost as if the spirit, the evil spirit is taunting them and saying, who do you think you are? Interesting interaction between an evil spirit and Jewish exorcist. What do we make of this little conversation? I will say something that might seem somewhat confusing to you at first, but hopefully it will make sense in just a few moments. I believe what happened in verses 15 and 16 is a demonstration of the sovereignty of God over demons. And secondly, is a demonstration of God's jealousy God's jealousy for his own holiness. In other words, God used the evil spirit ultimately to vindicate the holy name of his dear son. Now, let me see if I can explain why I believe this to be the case by drawing your attention to our next point. Our next point is this, the glorious outcome. The glorious outcome. What was the outcome of this failed exorcism? Jesus' name treated as holy. Jesus' name treated as holy. Verse 17. And this, the demonic beating, became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Now, in your Bibles, take your Bibles and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 10. I doubt any of you read Leviticus this morning for devotional time, but uh, this is an important background. Leviticus chapter 10. This is in page 88 of the Blue Bibles, if that is what you're using. And I want us to read verses 1 through 3. This is a very appropriate background to explain what is happening in Acts 19, verses 15 through 17. Now, listen carefully to the absolute severity, once again, of this account having to do with the worship of God. Many of you know what happened here. This is familiar territory for many of us. Here it is, Leviticus 10. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the lord which god had not commanded them in other words they thought to themselves let's worship god as we see fit surely god will appreciate it all we want to do is to worship god he will appreciate it verse 2 and fire came out from before the lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Not only did God not appreciate the worship they offered, God killed them for it. Verse 3. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord had said. This is how Moses came and offered a word of counsel to Aaron because he was mourning the death of his sons. This is what Moses said. Among those who are near me, says the Lord, I will be what? Sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. This story teaches us something of critical importance. God does not allow his name to be associated with anything unholy. God does not allow his name to be associated with anything unholy. The severity of these events was an unforgettable lesson on the seriousness with which God takes his own name. Thus, God says, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, I will be glorified. In other words, you will not treat my name lightly. God is a consuming fire. How does this speak to the events of Acts 19, verses 15 through 17? In Ephesus, Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to use the name of the Lord Jesus in a manner that he did not intend. They sought to drag his holy name through the mud by associating his name with the occult and with superstition and with vain repetition. On that day in Ephesus, the Jewish exorcists were utterly humiliated and punished because they used Christ's name in an unholy manner as a magic formula. Thus, on that day, the name of the Lord Jesus was set apart as what? Holy. Holy. In other words... The name of Jesus was magnified, it was glorified, it was extolled, it was praised because it was publicly vindicated as being separate from superstition, from the occult, from witchcraft, from magic, from divination. His name is holy. On that day in Ephesus, it became clear to all the residents of Asia Minor that Jesus is the name above what? Every name, and that he is indeed Lord, Lord of all, and that his name is to be revered, honored, and believed upon. Therefore, the defeat of the Jewish exorcist was not for the sake of showing the power of the evil spirit, not at all. The defeat of the Jewish Exorcist was for the sake of showing the holiness of the name of Jesus. And consider also with me, going back to the old testament, what God did. With the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron offered unauthorized fire to the Lord. And how did the Lord kill them? With fire. In Ephesus, the exorcists sought to cast out an evil spirit by using evil means. Consequently, the Lord allowed the evil spirit to overcome them. The Lord Jesus threw darkness right back at them in view of all this, here's a timely warning. Here's a timely warning. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord do what? Depart from iniquity. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. His name cannot be and will not be manipulated by those who seek to use it for their own selfish ends. Certainly, the Lord Jesus does not desire his holy name or his atoning work to be in any way associated with superstition or with magic or with the occult. I want to just point out very briefly that this is what really makes me nervous about the sign of the cross. That Catholics are known for. I believe that to be superstition in action. Not only superstition, but one that drags the cross and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ through the mud. There are others who, in our very day, use the name of Jesus to enrich themselves, such as the prosperity gospel preachers. There are lovers of money who pretend to be servants of Jesus and constantly use his name for their evil endeavors. That repentance should be swift. The Lord Jesus will not be mocked. His name is not to be used in any way that diminishes his glory. Just as God told Israel in the Old Testament that his name will be treated as holy, so too the Lord Jesus told everybody in Ephesus that day that his name will be treated as holy. That day in Ephesus, his name was vindicated. And this became known to all in the region. As verse 17 says, that fear fell upon them all. Why? Because they understood that Jesus is the Lord. So what happened? As a result, we come to the definitive victory. The definitive victory. And what was the victory? Repentance and faith. Verse 18 through 20. Also, Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Going back to King Saul. And as we saw, his consultations with the witch of Endor were a symptom of what? Why did he consult with a medium, with a witch? Well, they were a symptom of his distrust of God's word, which he heard through the prophet Samuel. In Ephesus, we see the opposite. Do you see that? It's the opposite. People who were seeking guidance and wisdom by engaging in the occult were delivered. On that day, the word of the Lord dispelled their thick darkness Consider with me the cost of their repentance. And by cost, I mean literally the cost of their repentance. 50,000 pieces of silver. The value of the books, magic books that were publicly burned that day was equivalent to 50,000 days worth of wages. 50,000 days worth of wages. It was an astonishing amount of money that went up in flames. They could have sold those books for a fortune, but true repentance begins with a desire to destroy the sin that kept us from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Those books represented for them a time of ignorance, spiritual darkness, and separation from the truth. Therefore, they gladly burned them. So I ask my dear brother and sister, are you burning your sin? Are you burning your sin? You see, as Christians, the burning of sin never stops. If you name the name of the Lord, are you seeking to depart from iniquity? As you seek to walk close to Jesus Christ, are you also seeking to part ways with everything that dishonors God in your life? My brothers and sisters, let us keep the bonfire burning hot. Never make peace with your remaining sin Burn it in the fire of holy hatred. Why should we? Because the cost of our repentance is nothing when compared to the cost of our forgiveness. Yes, in repentance, the Ephesians burned their precious magic books. But in love, the Lord Jesus shed his precious blood. And that's the only reason their repentance was met with forgiveness. Upon his cross, the Lord Jesus purchased their redemption. And on that day, they received it. My friends, God calls you to repent of your sins because he is a willing forgiver of sins through the cross of his son. Upon that cross, the holy wrath of God burned hot against the sins of the world. On that cross, God definitively burned all our transgressions forever through the death of His Son. And if today you confess and forsake your sins, God will give you full forgiveness because it is available to you today. Jesus died so that our sins might die with Him. What sins? All of them. All of them. So let me give you a few main takeaways from this story. A few main takeaways. The first one is this. Occultism or the occult is an affront against the word of the Lord. The occult is an affront against the word of the Lord. The war between Jesus and the occult It is, in an ultimate sense, a war between God's written revelation and man's desire for secret or autonomous or even demonic knowledge. Both in ancient Egypt and Babylon, magicians and enchanters were tasked with interpreting dreams and put forth secret wisdom. This was, in part, the darkness in which the world was. We could say, then... That the heart of the discussion concerning the occult is Deuteronomy 29.29. Deuteronomy 29.29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. Forever that we might do all the word of his law. What is the battle? If you're following the notes. The battle is secret things versus revealed things. Secret things versus revealed things. The occult, magic, secret arts is man's desperate attempt to find the secret things. Occult practices boil down to men prying into the mystery not revealed to us by God. Occultism is, in essence, an affront against the ultimacy, the supremacy, the sufficiency, and the finality of the word of the Lord. To practice the occult is to say, God, I want more knowledge. Your word is not enough for me. To engage in the occult is to echo the evil question of Satan in the garden. Did God really say? Is that enough for you, Eve? Satan hates the word of the Lord. In Luke chapter 8 verse 12, as Jesus explained the purpose of the parable of the sower, the seed and the soils, he says this, "The ones along the path are those who have heard the word, then the devil comes and does what? He takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved." Satan hates the word of the Lord and he always will and whatever he can do to distract you or to increase the degree of separation between you and the word of the Lord he will attempt for us Christians there is only one choice not many either we will live God, by God's written revelation or we will live in rebellion to God pursuing secret knowledge joining secret societies practicing secret arts, etc., are all against the simplicity of faith in the word of the Lord. In short, we must be mature children. What I mean by that is this. When it comes to the word of God, we must desire doctrinal maturity, but always like dependent infants. These things, these things written, the words that we can read, they belong to us and to our children that we may do them. And in this, we must rejoice. Letter B. Here's the second takeaway. Occult forces are at work in our day. They have not gone away. They're still present among us. In his book, Gospel Culture, Joe Boot helps us see and understand the relevancy uh, of the occult, at least in terms of its contemporary application. Boot says this, quote, The radical culture of confusion and irrationality of our time with regard to gender, marriage, sexuality, and spirituality is not incidental, but basic to the revival of the worldview of witchcraft. Occultism is corrosive for every aspect of life and society. Each one seeks their own way, their own spiritual ascent by their own path, and falls headlong into their own abyss. The problem for autonomous man is that sexuality is a fixed aspect of God's creation that proves a roadblock to man's desire to remake himself by his own magic words. Moreover, we have widespread promiscuity the abhorrence of reproduction, and the slaughter of unborn babies on a scale well beyond that imagined in earlier societies. These practices all stem from the worldview not of science, but of witchcraft. An autonomous realm of knowledge is sought for the acquisition of lawless power so that man might become his own god. Social sorcery is all. Around us. End quote. Let her see. The word of the Lord. Is sufficient for us. Ah. I heard about a Ouija board. That is meant to be quote unquote Christian. So I looked it up. And uh, don't do that don't do that. I did so that you don't have to. The description of the product said this, quote, this is the only Ouija board designed to directly contact our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, end quote. I can tell you what that is. It is evil. It is evil. It is demonic. No question about this. It is as dark as it gets. The reviews on the product were astonishing. Astonishing, even by self-professed Christians. Some of you might be tempted to think, well, what's the big deal? It's just a Ouija board game. We might as well make it Christian, right? Christianize the Ouija board. I, I don't think so. This is no small deal. In fact, I would take it as far as to say this is the type of sin and evil for which Saul himself was killed by God himself. As a matter of fact, let me just say this. If you are engaged in things of this nature, if you're sitting there and you are playing, you're engaging in things of the occult and magic, fortune-telling, and if you call yourself a Christian, I would have to say to you immediately, you must repent. And do so quickly. Other than those resources that have been written to help us understand and apply Scripture better, anything outside of Scripture used for spiritual guidance and supernatural revelation is at best not necessary, at worst very, very dangerous. You don't need anything to connect with the spiritual or to gain insight into the spiritual realm. As Christians, we have God's Word and this is all we need. We do not need Ouija boards, palm readings, tarot, mediums, astrologers, fortune tellers, etc. We must submit to and be content with God's word. As John Frame says, quote, Believers are not to seek supernatural or spiritual help from anybody but the one true God. And the only place to find him is in his word. Nothing else. Nothing else. Letter D. We learn from this account that Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. We're in Ephesus, right? Let's turn then to Ephesians chapter one. I want you to see Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Remember, they were, they used to be trapped in this um, fear of the occult, this fear for evil forces. But listen to How Paul prayed for them in Ephesians chapter 1, he listed several prayer requests for them. The last of these requests begins in verse 19. And it is that the Ephesians may know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And notice verse 21. Where is Christ right now? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put, God put all things under Christ's feet feet and gave him as head over how many things? All things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Imagine what these Ephesians thought and felt when they read those words for the first time after decades of being trapped in the darkness. These former occultists Magicians, sorcerers, necromancers, fortune tellers, witches, etc. We're now believers in the one who has authority all over, over all forces, both of good and of evil. And he's above all of them. He's above all of them. They no longer believe themselves to be at the mercy of unseen, random, evil forces. Now they were under the sovereign care of a good, all-powerful Lord who is over all things, the creator of all things, who became a man to die for their sins and to deliver them out of the kingdom of darkness and to bring them into his own kingdom of light and truth. Jesus is Lord. Therefore, let us not fear the darkness. And finally... Here's the final exhortation for all of us. Let us walk as children of light. Let us walk as children of light. Let us finish in Ephesians chapter 5. Read with me what we read in Ephesians chapter 5. As Paul reflected in the past lives of these Ephesians and the then present realities of these brand new Christians he tells them this in Ephesians 5, verses 8 and 9, and this is for all of us. At, what, at one time, you were darkness, but now you are what? You are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing. To the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder that we belong to the light. We're no longer in darkness. We thank you for this incredible demonstration of the power of the Lord Jesus over the occult, over magic practices. And we thank you that we do not need any of that. I pray that if there is anybody within the reach of my voice that is flirting with these things, that you will call them to repent and to believe in the finality, the sufficiency of your word. And for us, Father, we pray that you will help us to walk as children of light. We thank you that in your word, we have everything we need for godliness. And so in this word, we stand and we believe.